With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So that they can once again post a link to the YouTube video of a small shrimp running on a treadmill to the Yakety Sax music from Benny Hill. It's a funny line because what you teach and and what you're preaching better show up in a game because it's a little bit different. Uh, What is your favorite ratio of bacon, lettuce, and tomato on a BLT? And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars episode number 66, where we're going to try and keep it short like a Blue Jays rally. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, <laughs> and I am joined by Josh Housem. Josh, how are you this fine evening, sir? I'm sitting here hoping the Jays can have rallies as long as we do a podcast. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that, that would be quite the task. That would be that like that nine-run inning back in Boston many moons ago. Boy, does that seem like a distant memory or what? <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't doesn't 2015 seem like about 20 years ago some nights when you watch this team take useless hacks at some left-handed pitcher's slop and pound it into the ground? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to talk about uh, shrimp. <laughs> not, not the actual edible kind, but we'll explain that if we haven't explained it before. Uh, not a banner weekend in Detroit. Um, I'm sure the Blue Jays felt like the grass after Metallica. Oh, we got some reinforcements to the bullpen. We don't need any reinforcements. Roberto Osuna, who has been fantastic. We'll talk about him. Uh, some of the members of the rotation are, are, well, some are this, just as bad as they've ever been. Others seem to have really stabilized. Um, Steve Pierce, Steve Pierce, maybe he's looking like a good pickup. We'll discuss that. Uh, the defense, we don't want to discuss that, but we're going to. Uh, poor Dalton Pompey, he has he has bad news for, to deliver to us. But then, then we're going to talk to Eric Owens uh, about hitting philosophies and his memories of time with the Jays, as I believe was an assistant hitting coach. Josh had a chance to sit down and talk to him. We'll take your questions, and uh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll get around to the, the final thoughts and such. So, let's talk about shrimp. Well, I wish we were talking about the kind that you eat, <laughs> but unfortunately it was another 2017 Blue Jays loss in the final game of that Tiger series. So have we talked about shrimp on the podcast and why we call it shrimp or, or has that ever come up? 
it's probably come up but i don't know if you've ever discussed why so the podcast originally uh there was one called the walk off walk um and i don't know if they're still even their archive is still there but uh one night they they were they were waxing about the fact that the most futile ending in all of baseball the most depressing is the walk off walk because nobody knows what to do in terms of what level you celebrate a walk off walk at and it it's kind of a feeble thing for the losing team as well because you just sort of have to watch it happen there's nothing you can do um so they decided and I'm still not sure how, what the logic of this was, but, but the, that futility was matched by a YouTube video of a shrimp running on a treadmill to the Yakety Sax music from <laughs> Benny Hill. So now it has become Twitter tradition that people let the at shrimp alert Twitter account know when a walk-off walk is impending so that they can once again post a link to the YouTube video of a small shrimp running on a treadmill to the Yakety Sax music from Benny Hill. Yeah. Okay. It's perfectly logical. <laughs> I don't know why I have to even explain it, frankly. Um, uh, you shouldn't have to. It's just so clearly inherent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, shrimp is, is bad. It, it is definitely, uh, it's something you can see coming and you don't want to see it coming. And, and often, sometimes teams are only one ball away from getting shrimped and then someone hits a single and ruins the whole thing. Uh, Notable of, of this particular occasion of, of shrimping that the Tigers didn't hit a fair ball uh, to, uh, to assist themselves in any way, shape, or form. It was an error and three walks that resulted Correct. In, in, in the end of the game. Yeah, it was particularly futile. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> Lucas Harrell is... I mean, he, he's been designated for Simon. He's gone. <laughs> but it's like, you're... How can you do that? You can't come in and just walk everybody. Oh, Beliveau walked the first guy. And... Or was it Loop? I, one of the crappy lefties got, let, walked the first guy. I, I think it was Beliveau. And, and then Harrell comes in and goes, walk, error, walk. walk. <laughs> um so you would think that that was uh and i'm writing a piece on this so i won't go into great depth you would think that's exceedingly rare but there was actually a royals game this year with three walks and the final walk uh that put the nail in the coffin kelvin herrera relieved came into the game and walked the only batter he faced to lose it <laughs> Yeah, at least he's being efficient. <laughs> How to ruin your your day? Go get him, champ. Nope, <laughs> nope, didn't get him. See ya. Uh, so we don't have Lucas Harrell anymore. Who do we have instead? Well, Dominic Leone has come back, and he's actually soon likely to be followed by Joe Smith, who is pitching well down in his rehab assignment. Yeah, I saw an article about Joe Smith that actually he said, until I can throw strikes, what the heck would I be coming back for? So I'm going to take a couple more possibly rehab appearances to make sure I'm actually not rushing my, myself back in terms of my control, not my health. I thought so that this was... is the anti-Aaron Sanchez yeah. rehab stint. Oh, <laughs> <It was> like... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, you can do that? Um yeah, so Joe Smith has it has his head screwed on straight in terms of what he what he wants to achieve down there. So now that Jason Grilly is permanently gone, they've uh, Aaron Loop is bad again though. Like he was good, oh, yeah. and now he's bad. Is he hitting people again? He's not hitting people again, is he? No, he's <laughs> just letting them get hits. Yeah, tomato, tomato, I guess. Um. So, and J.P. Howell is in AAA just getting lit up, apparently. So I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. No, he's de definitely not <laughs> coming back anytime soon. He's, I mean, yeah, if Joe Smith's the one worried about throwing strikes, J.P. Howell's just trying to get a ball to the catcher. They're all just <laughs> getting whacked to the outfield. <laughs> oh, but there, there is one person whom we have not mentioned in this as we slag on every reliever. And that is Roberto Osuna. Wow. His season, yeah, wow was a good way to put it. His season just keeps getting stupider and stupider in a good way. So, it, yeah, go ahead. 
I don't know. Just, his ERA is down below two now. His mm-hmm. whip is down below 0. 0.7. <laughs> Um, it doesn't seem to matter even when, when people put a ball in play against him. Like, soft fly ball, grounder, nothing, nothing really all that threatening. No, no, and he's just ruthlessly efficient. Ah, uh, you used my ruthlessly. Uh, I, I did, didn't I? He, 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 it, that's the best word, man, ruthless. It's just like, I'm, I'm gonna put some really impossible pitches out there. And even if you manage to make contact, uh, it's, you, you're not going to square it up right now. Whatever I'm doing, you can't, you can't even see what I'm doing. He's like eight or nine pitches per appearance, the last few appearances. Against the heart of the order in, on Major League teams. That's crazy good. Yeah, and he's just like, meh, I'm going to throw seven pitches this time. Maybe eight pitches next time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he brought back his changeup. If you noticed in the last game against Boston, uh, this is we're recording this during the game, which is now three three because the Jays can't hold leads, um, mm-hmm. unless he's pitching. But yeah, he he busted out the changeup again against Benintendi, and he hasn't thrown that much this year, but it's still a really good pitch. Yeah, I mean it was it, it's just after getting rid of that sinker that he was playing around with and going back to the cutter and and as mentioned by an article from Jeff Sullivan keeping the the cutter and the slider is two distinctly different pitches nobody's had a chance no and this is actually something that Matt wrote about a long time ago about how his cutter and his slider were making each both pitches less effective last year and this year it's definitely not the case and they've he's just been dominant and it's kind of raising the should he start again conversation because he's got these four pitches, but I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to be these guys leading to whoever these guys are, Roberto Osuna closing games. Yeah, because I think I think you've mentally crossed a bridge that barring some sort of weird injury and some sort of sort of you know re- being reborn as a completely different kind of pitcher kind of thing. I think mentally you would have a tough time getting a player away from being this good at your job for this long and then telling you to do a different job. They tried to do it to Aroldis Chapman, right? Well, no, they never did. They started to try to do it to Aroldis Chapman, and then they're like, mm, nah, Jonathan Broxton got hurt. You can go stay closing. Well, and, but Chapman said, I'm really not all that keen on it. You know, yeah. and that's, I think, the answer you get from Roberto. And I don't blame him one at all. As much as I know, you know, starter money, starter money. This He's set up right now um, to be very good at this job for a very long time. And I'm, I'm sure he's not really thinking about doing a different job right now. Um, Yeah, well, I think that's enough of a love-in for Roberto. Maybe we'll get to do it again next week. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, who else do we love? We lo- we love Marcus Stroman, I guess. Even though he blocked me on Twitter, I, I still love him. <laughs> Which is still funny to me because you have no idea why. <laughs> no, not a clue. I don't recall any interaction whatsoever. I, I, I say things about players who have not had success, but I, I never call them like horrible human beings or say they're clueless or useless or anything. You can follow me. I, I don't. I'll, I'll say I had a bad uh, night or had no idea what he was doing there. Anyway. So Stroman obviously took one of those and uh, took it to heart. But he has been consistently the guy who has taken the ball every five days uh, and done something with it that he was supposed to. Oh, yeah. No, he's easily been the Blue Jays' best starter. Hap's been very good since coming back from DL, pitched another decent game today. But Stroman's the guy. He's down to a 310 ERA, and he's always going deep in the game, 670 innings. He's like fifth in the league in innings pitched since the start of last year. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's why we, we said it was an all-star, you know, sort of maybe overlook. And, and I think, we, again, he went into Detroit, and he was good again. Gee, what more can you ask for? I do, I do find it amusing, though, that they pegged him as having to make, make the switch to a reliever when he was drafted. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you look at him now, and you're like, I don't, I don't think anybody knew what they were talking about, but okay. Um, He's small, therefore he must close. That's the <laughs> yeah. way this goes. Um, it's funny. So he didn't get the win in that game, but he threw six and two thirds innings, gave up three unearned runs off his own error. So you know, it's a little, 
little dicey. Yeah. Although, so the lead was blown when Dominic Leone came in. I just have to mention this because it's a funny quirk. He threw one pitch and gave up an RBI double, but a runner was thrown out at home. And then the Jays took the lead back in the in the top of the next inning, but the score was like, no, Leone, you're not getting the win for throwing one pitch and it's a double. <laughs> and gave it to Ryan Tapera. Um, occasionally I'm glad that the official scorer has some leeway because there's some really <laughs> weird decisions I don't like, but that one seems seems like being the pitcher of record <laughs> when you fail to do anything right at all. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Um, so Estrada, we have to talk about your boy Estrada at least briefly. He He still has not figured out what is going on wrong. No, and unlike that Yankee start, which we talked about on the last podcast, where you know he was good for the first four innings and looked like the guy that we'd known. Yeah, he gave up a home run. He's always given up home runs, but he was throwing strikes and he was making guys look bad. His, then he comes out against the Tigers and you know three and two thirds, five hits, four walks. I mean, granted, one of those hits was a fly ball that fell between Pilar and Bautista, and another one that you know Zico Correa forgot <laughs> you're supposed to close your glove, but he was bad. And he just has no control right now. And that's the thing. Like, if you're throwing like Marco Estrada, if you're throwing the way he's throwing the last couple of years where you're locating up and down, it's great. When you're not, you're batting practice. Yeah, you you absolutely, you know, they talk about guys, oh, he really relies on location. Well, that's that's Marco Estrada. He relies on location. So if you don't got it, he really doesn't have much. It's It's not like Aaron Sanchez who can just scare the crap out of people when he's having a wild night around the zone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the thing that we talk about. And, you know, Mike son has this stuff rating, which is essentially be a rating of your ability to get away with being not sharp. Mm -hmm. You know, the better your stuff is, the better you are when you don't have your best command. And Estrada has never done well on the stuff because he just doesn't throw that hard and his breaking ball is not that different. You know, it's basically he's deception. And when you're relying on deception and you're throwing it down the middle you give up bombs yeah and uh and then when he's not throwing it down the middle he's walking more people than normal uh okay well now we've we've laid it out again i don't know why we keep laying it out like he's gonna notice and magically change it (laughs) well uh, yeah good point (laughs) but we're sort of talking because it looked like he was maybe potentially turning a corner last time and then he just didn't and you know, he's kind of tanking his trade value, unfortunately. So <laughs> it's like, yep. well, not helping the team in any way right now. Um, so you mentioned that ball that fell between Bautista and Pilar, and it's maybe the second or third one that between Bautista and Pilar, you would have thought one of them have should have gotten to in like the last week. Um, so they always say on the broadcast, oh, there's lack of communication. I'm like, I, I don't know about lack of communication. Like, it almost looks like a, just some kind of incoherence on either one or both of their parts. Jose Bautista is, by the objective measurement, the slowest outfielder in baseball. If I'm Kevin Pillar and I know that, I'm going for everything full out, and I'll worry if Bautista shows up. Yeah, exactly. It's like you just go hard and then if you hear him, I got it, I got it, and you think it's going to be tougher for you to catch it, then you peel off. Otherwise, you try to catch it. Yeah, and it seems like Pilar, and and again, this is not the way Pilar has played defense in previous years over in right center, but it seems like he's like, well, that's that's pretty close to Jose. I'll uh, I'll get into the area. Oh, uh, he doesn't have it. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, this is part of the bizarre defensive downgrade from Pilar this year. Not only is he struggling on those balls over his head, he's not taking charge at all in the outfield, which as a center fielder is part of his job. Yeah, he's the guy who says, I got it. And you got to believe that he has it if he says that, right? It's, I don't know. It's strange. Yeah, I mean, and and it's not just the outfielders. I mean, Zeke is a terrible left fielder who just happens to be fast. But, um, you know, Pierce isn't great. And... Poor Pierce, man. <laughs> like, Pierce is, 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 he has, like, third baseman speed, right? Maybe second baseman speed. Um, no, third base. Third base slower base. than second baseman yeah. speed, yeah. He has third baseman speed, and he, you could see balls falling towards the foul line, and he's doing 
everything he can to get over there. And you know that like a Jackie Bradley Jr. or a Cameron Maben or who like any of these guys would cover all that ground no problem. And Pierce is just sticking his glove out there like, oh, I'm not going to make it, am I? <laughs> yep. It's actually, it's pretty funny. But he needs actually being okay, though, defensively. I mean, he's slow, like we said, but he's been better than those other guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's mostly range with Pierce. It's, it seems if he can get around the ball, he, he, he knows, you know, more or less what to do with it. He's not a great leaping catch kind of guy, but that's, I mean, not a lot of guys are who don't... Uh, don't play 162 games a year. It's it's not an easy part of the job. And he, he's got a bit of that Ben Revere in him too, where it's like he never looks like he's going to catch it, but then he does. <laughs> he had that sinking liner last night in uh, Boston, where where you wanted his arm to grow like three inches longer just so it didn't look so difficult. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but you know, We'll we'll take it as long as they make the plays. But the infield's not been great either. It's just the defense has been very, very bad. Jen Smith, who writes for BP Toronto, she wrote about this recently. They're 26th in the league in defensive efficiency, which is the percentage of balls in play turned into outs. Last year, they were second. I don't even know how you fall off that kind of cliff with three of the four guys, or four of the five guys, if you want to count the catcher, the same on the infield. What happened? Yeah, I mean, this was just overall, this wasn't just the infield, but I don't know. I mean, Goins has gotten worse, Tula Whiskey has gotten a bit worse, and Donaldson has gotten worse. I mean, everybody has stepped backwards defensively this year, and it's kind of bizarre. I think kind of bizarre might be the tagline for, for the 2017 Blue Jays. It's better than let's rise. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Uh, this Jays team is so frustrating. <laughs> I've I've passed. I've I've sailed right past frustrating. I'm I, I'm unperturbed now. Um, by the way, while we we made fun of Pierce for his lack of range and it, acknowledged that you know defense was not his strength, he is a very good hitter. It turns out. Yeah, but do you know what just happened? The Jays had first and third, nobody out. Pilar hit into a double play, and somehow they didn't score. <laughs> Chulewski did not score from third on a ground ball double play. Yeah, like I said, I've I've passed. I'm I'm nonplussed about about the whole thing. I'm always I'm pleasantly surprised when they win now because they don't do anything well, Josh. There's nothing they they do notably well. Roberto Osuna is good. Yep, they they do they they do their Osunaing very well. But you have to get him the ball with the lead. They don't do that very well at all, do they? No. No, they don't. Uh, would we like to mention poor Dalton Pompey? Oh, yeah, he's injured again. He's back <laughs> on the 60-day DL. I mean, so the, the upside, if you want to look at that, is that he'll get another option year. He won't be out of options next year. But, man, it's like if he doesn't play, does it really matter? It's like one of those, you know, if Dalton Pompey doesn't play, does he really exist kind of things? Well, it's certainly not a development year that he's not used up his option in. You can't call it that because he can't possibly have developed while he sat in trainer's rooms and rode planes to Florida over and over again. And the 60-day DL right now basically says, pack your bags, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, but th- at this point in the season, there's nothing left. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't call him up in September because he, you would want him to have played some minor league games and the minor league season is over by that the end of August and we're well past 60 days. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Pompey, the great Canadian outfielder that n- never was yet. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> Man, I, I going into interviews on a sad note, do we have anything? We, <laughs> any pick-me-ups? Any... <laughs> Bright spots. Well, <laughs> well, I guess this is a semi-bright spot. The Jays not scoring that situation saved Leone from potentially having once again to not get the win in the score decision because of a blown save. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then you know how much the score hated him. Uh, All righty. We're going to have your sit down with Eric Owens, uh, former Blue Jays, was assistant hitting coach? Yes. Um, so you can talk some hitting philosophies and memories of his time with the Jays, which uh, dated to a much happier offensive era, so to speak. We'll be right back with that. 
and I'm happy to be joined by Eric Owens, former Major League Baseball player and former assistant hitting coach of the Toronto Blue Jays. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thank you for having me. So, just before we get into your role with the Jays and and what you've been doing since, what was it like, you know, going from being a major leaguer, and you played for quite a few years, to try and decide what to do after that? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is um, I once I finished playing, um, I took some time off, and uh, Joe Madden actually called me. He was the best coach for the Anaheim Angels at the time, and I played for Anaheim Angels in 2003, and he really liked me, and I don't know why he took to me, but he, uh, and so in 2005, he called me that summer and said, uh, I guess it was 2004, called and said, hey, um, you know, you're done playing. I said, yeah, and he goes, I think you would be one great coach. And so um, at the point in time, you know, I was 35 years old, and, and I, was, um, I wasn't really looking for a job, but I was, I was wondering what I was going to do with the next step of my life. And, and once, I, once I got into the coaching ranks with the Angels and Mike Socia, was what a great uh, organization it was. Especially back in the um, early 2000 or middle 2000s to 2010, when they were making the playoffs all the time. So that's that's kind of how it all started. Is uh, you know, Joe Madden called me and said, "Hey, are you done? I think you'd be a great coach." And um, so I got into the coaching ring. And how did you end up well, with the Blue Jays specifically? How did that relationship form? Well, I started off, I was a hitting coach uh, in A-ball uh, with the Angels, and then I went to double-A um, as a hitting coach with the Angels. Then I became the outfield base running coordinator with the Angels, the assistant hitting coach. And uh, so throughout that time, uh, I had the life to be, the privilege, I should say, to be with Mark Trumbo, Peter Borges, Hank Conger, um, Mike Trout, Randall Gritchick, I mean, all these big leaguers that came through there. And, I mean, it was just a, um, a pleasure to be to be in an organization like that at that point in time. And and then after about two years of being the outfield base running assistant hitting coordinator job with the Angels, the Dodgers called. A friend of mine went over there, and he recommended me, and I became the head hitting coordinator with the Dodgers. <clears throat> and then with the likes of Corey Seager, Jock Pearson, D. Gordon, Josh uh, Elfweek, uh, many, 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 many more uh, minor leaguers that's made it to the big leagues. There's Scott Shebler with Cincinnati Reds. Uh, we we went from being 27th in baseball to second in baseball in all of all of hitting, and then um, then Brett Jacoby got the hitting coach job um, with the Blue Jays two years ago, and then he called me and wanted to know if I was. Assistant, because I turned down a couple of the assistant hitting jobs, uh, Detroit Tigers, uh, Philadelphia Phillies, and a couple of times um, Cleveland Indians. I really didn't want to interview because I was really happy with the Dodgers. And I thought it would a golden opportunity to come to Toronto and uh, with the offense that they had. And, yeah, and didn't really know the whole city or didn't know anything about Toronto to begin with. And, wow, my first year there was the first time they made the playoffs in like 23 years. And then last year, we made it playoffs again, and, and um, so Alice Astropolis is the one that brought me on um, as the first uh, assistant hitting coach ever in Blue Jay history, and then the new regime came in, and they didn't feel like they needed two hitting coaches, so they let me go, and um, yeah, the rest is history, I guess, uh, so um, here I am today. Well, that's certainly quite the journey. And obviously, clearly, you worked with a bunch of nobodies. You know, all the, none of those players were in, turned out any good. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I was just watching uh, Cody Bellinger, which I had him with the Dodgers in the home run derby. So over the last three years, we had Cody Bellinger, uh, Corey Seager, and uh, Jock Peterson in the home run derby, which is kind of neat to see. And Yasiel Puig, I've had Mark Trumbo in the home run derby. Not me, myself, but it's been a part of, of, of their lives and – Mike Trout, obviously MVP, and and those guys. So uh, it's 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 been a it's been a great journey. I've been around a lot of great players, and and what what a great time I've had. And they're still young. I mean, most people can't even say they've been around MVPs as Josh Donaldson, and Corey Seager's, or Rookie of the Years as, as as Trout and all these guys. So it has been a good ride. Yeah, no doubt. So 
you were at the Blue Jays, as you said, you were the first assistant hitting instructor with the team. What is the difference between the two hitting coach roles? Uh, it's not a lot of difference. Um, I guess the major thing is <clears throat> I wasn't on major league pension um, uh, when I when I took the job. Um, it's less pay, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's pro- probably like being the manager to an assistant manager. You know, it's if uh, you know things don't go right, usually the manager gets his head chopped off first. And the assistant manager, but uh, I guess the new regime thought that uh, I really caused a lot of problems, which I didn't. But uh, they, yeah, they just I, they didn't believe in having two hitting coaches. They didn't think that they thought that they needed a quality control coach, which I never got the opportunity to even know that they were thinking of that. So, um, so anyway, yeah, no, you know, bygones be bygones, but. Uh, yeah, you know, it was a great time. I enjoyed being down there, and and I really, really enjoy what I'm doing now. Well, well, we'll definitely get to what you're doing now in a bit. But just sticking with the Jays for a second, because we're a Blue Jays podcast, and that's what our listeners care most about. Now, so you basically, from the way you describe it, it sounds like you work with the hitters as much as Brooke Jacoby would have, or at least on the similar level. Is that correct? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. It. I didn't hear the question. I'm sorry. Yeah. So basically, from what the way you just described it, you would have worked with the hitters on the same kind of level as Brooke Jacoby, just both would have been doing the job. Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is, is most major league teams have two hitting coaches now. And I think the biggest thing is, is it's egos, uh, especially at the big, big level. Um, Brooke had a really good relationship uh, with uh, Edwin Encarnacion because he had him in Cincinnati. I had a really good, two years ago, uh, I, put, I helped put a toe tap in to Kevin Pillar. They were getting ready to send him down. He was hitting 180 two years ago. I begged for them not in a meeting with Alan Centropolis and begged them not to send him down. Uh, and I, because I had success with Corey Seager putting a toe tap into him, he faces Matt Scherzer, his two home runs, the rest is, you know, that, that that's the way a hitting coach draws it up. That's not the way it always happens. But um, I'm the one that uh, came up with the game plan of putting uh, Ryan Goins bat on his shoulder. Um, because I thought he was he had way too much movement. That's the year that he hit two fifty and we you know, we lost to Kansas City. Um so I was more in the, the development of the kids because I'd been a you know, Brooke had been in the big leagues with Cincinnati a lot. Not saying he can't. He's a great, great, great guy, great hitting coach. Great hitting coach. I learned a lot from him. But you know, when you come from the development side, you know, you see things and and, um, you know, I had too low and those guys asked me, but, uh, I was more in the younger kids and trying to get them to be, to, to survive. And once they survive and get a little bit of uh, success at the big league level, Justice Smoke was, uh, last year, I'll never forget my, my last day on a job, we're in the playoffs and we thought we were heading back to Cleveland. Justice Smoke asked me personally to go down to the cage with him to work on breaking balls because he really didn't want anybody else around. That's the kind of relationship. So when you have two guys, you got all these egos out there. You, you need two guys. But some are going to gravitate to one. Some are going to gravitate to the other. And, and neither me or Brooke had, a, had an ego. So it worked out really well. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because you know we've seen stories about hitters looking for outside sources, outside voices, whether it's personal hitting coaches or family members or college coaches. Is having the second coach sort of – the way to avoid that, that that way there's always someone that the person will get along with and work well with? Yeah, I, I think so. I think a lot of it is. I mean, they, they're still going to search, right? Everybody knows, um, you know, everybody who struggles, everyone knows how to teach hitting. Um, that's that's the hardest part about baseball. No one wants to talk about fielding. No one wants to talk about bunting. No one wants to talk about the bullpen. Everybody knows hitting. But you, you, you have to, and you, you try to, and Brooke and I were such on the same page. Brooke would go, look at, look and, and come up with a game plan, what we're doing, what do you want to do with this guy? Or, you know, look at Batista, tell me what you see. And we, we were such on a good, good, good game plan with, with these guys. And a lot of it's not mechanics. A lot of it's approach, what they're swinging at. I'd go back and go, you know, he's seeing all these fastballs. He's letting them go. <laughs> so we were really on the same page. And I think that really helped. Um, the two years. Obviously, we didn't get to a World Series, but we were so close to knocking on the door, and, and I think it was a lot of respect between uh, Brooke and I and, and, and the players, and, and we had a really good game plan, a really good thing going on, 
And uh, not saying this year because they're losing or whatever, but we had a really good, really good thing going on uh, with the players. Well, that's certainly nice to hear. Now, speaking of those two teams, the 2015 team and the 2016 team, and I guess extending into this year, that 2015 team was one of the best offenses in the history of baseball. The 2016 team was closer to the middle of the pack, though still above average, and this year they've just dropped off considerably. Is there something that you guys noticed that was happening? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of things that we noticed um, the first year. And then that kind of – when you're playing against the AL East, and, and, the, pro, and the thing is to, the, is my, to me this year is shocking, is the AL East is not as strong as it – everyone thought it was going to be because uh new york is not as good as you know they started off really good but they're not i mean they're just okay they're they're in the middle of the pack uh tampa is just tampa i mean they got really good pitching they 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 struggle to score some runs i haven't watched a lot of their games but you know boston should have been running away with this thing already and they're not so at least the blue jays have a chance I, i think the biggest thing is is um the Encanarion you know, factor. Uh, everyone knows uh, Josh Donaldson, Troy Tulowitzki, great ball players, great leaders, uh, no doubt about it. But Edwin Encarnacion held that clubhouse together. I mean, he was the rock. If if I had one player to to keep, I would have kept Edwin Encarnacion because he was unbelievably the the leader in that clubhouse and the leader of everything that went on. And so he was. Uh, he was the rock and soul of, of that team. And, uh, you know, when you lose him, and Kendrick Morales has had a great year, but it's chemistry, right? It's chemistry regardless if you have a coaching staff. It's chemistry regardless if you have a, a team. So the more that you can keep, that's why they always talk about core, core players intact, core coaches, core players, everything intact. Because a lot of people, you know, they like it smooth. They like it. They, they get adjusted to people. And then um, – and then they feel comfortable. And then big league players, they just want to feel comfortable. I mean, the money is already there. They're not worried about that. If they want to feel comfortable, it's like they're they're relaxed and they're ready to go. So um, for me, yeah, it, yeah, we saw the, we saw the the red light the first year actually, and um, you know, and tried to address them. Uh, the first year though, we did get Ben Revere, uh, which really helped out a lot. Uh, we had Jose Reyes, uh, which was good. And, you know, Michael Saunders had a great first half. But, I mean, the second half, I think he hit, He was the lowest average of any major leaguer, everyday player in the big league. So that was a struggle. And you can go through ups and downs throughout the year. But that was the biggest key was uh, we didn't have a leadoff hitter. And, you know, that, even in baseball, you want that three-hole hitter, four-hole hitter. But if no one's on from it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to drive men. I mean, Jose Bautista did a good job, but, I mean, he's not going to score from first base on the double, whereas you're going to get Ben Rivera. It doesn't have to be that sure double to where he's automatically scoring. I mean, he can he can run, and so could Reyes. So um, that's why you see the offense down a little bit. And we led the major leagues. I think we led the major leagues in, in double plays because you're waiting, and there's not a lot of <clears throat> running going on because, there's a lot of swing and miss going on there, too. So you can't really run three-one counts like a lot of teams do. So you're hitting to a lot of double plays. So you're, you're waiting for the three-run homer. It's the old Earl Weaver type of baseball. Hmm. It's interesting. And actually, now Batista is back in the leadoff spot because of injuries and whatnot. And as you mentioned, he's probably not the ideal role for him, despite his ability to get on base. But even he has taken a, a pretty large step backwards in his overall numbers. Is there something in his approach that you're seeing different, or is it just age? I don't think it's age so much. I think it's more uh, Batista's – Jose is a great guy. I mean, people – you see him, he looks like he's always, you know, has an attitude but an edge or whatever during the games. But that's just his mentality. I mean, he is a unbelievable guy in the clubhouse. Uh, I mean, he will do anything for anybody and he works really, really hard. I mean, the, the greatest thing that I learned was how hard he, uh, Jose, Edwin and Carnacion, Donaldson and Tulo, you got guys who have made all the money they need to make ever. And they just sit in a cage and they will work and work and work and because, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed out there. They want to, they want to, they want to thrive. They want to succeed. Um, I don't think it's that. I really don't. I mean, because Jose in the playoffs, I mean, when, when the pressure's on, I, I don't even know if I – I don't know if there's anybody in baseball ever 
that I would take over Jose Batista, especially in just the last two years. I mean, he was clutch, clutch, clutch. I just think uh, him being in the leadoff spot is not really where he needs to be, to be honest with you. I mean, he, he's a guy that if you get a guy on third base, I mean, he walked, like you said, he walked, he gets on base. This guy makes things happen. I mean, for him to walk in the first inning, I don't know if it really helps him a lot. I mean, it's a double play waiting to happen, and a double, and then you got second and third, nobody else. So you still got to get, you got to get a sack fly. You got to put a ball in play, and it's a big time swing and miss, miss team. I mean, so you know you're you're going to be up there and strike out. So I don't know really if that's if that's the that that's the best case scenario. But I mean, for me, we we said for two years. I, I think we had a chance two years ago to trade for D Gordon for, and no one, I mean, I did cause I had him with the Dodgers and I thought, what a great, this guy would be awesome. If you had D Gordon hitting and now he's still 60 bases a year and you had Josh Donaldson, hit, they're going to throw him fastballs and Josh Donaldson is going to hit him 500 feet. If they don't, then you got D Gordon sitting at third base with two stolen bases cause they're throwing breaking balls. Now Bautista's up. And it, it, it was just a, for me, it was, it was a no brainer, but, Obviously, I'm not a GM. I'm just a coach. I'm an assistant hitting coach and giving opinions. <laughs> well, now, well, now there's rumors that they might be interested in D. Gordon again, so maybe that'll that'll happen. <clears throat> right. But uh, okay, so just a more general question now. Just you're talking about you know the team approaches and such. Have you seen big changes from back when you were playing to when you're coaching to the way those kind of things are approached, lineup construction, and even just the role of the hitting coach? Uh, I, th- I think the biggest change that I've seen was, you know, all this stuff that's coming out, this technology was and launch angles and this guy doing this and this guy, you know, uh, doing that. And But if you really, if you break it down, it, it's not really any different than what it used to be. It's just more of technology coming into baseball, um, whereas, you know, guys are thinking, yeah, hitting balls in the gap. We uh, Actually, it's so funny because Cody Bellinger, uh, I guess I, I'm trying to figure out the – I had him for two years. He was in rookie ball. Uh, I lived literally five miles from him in Arizona, and we'd go to the batting cages and stuff like that. And he was the first guy that I, I decided that I didn't want him to hit the ball hard on the ground because his swing didn't, didn't play into that. I wanted him to hit balls in the air but on a line at a trajectory. So he was the first guy that when we started doing this, um, but my trout, my trout swings down. I mean, it, it, you know, you, you look at a swing, it looks like a Nike swing, but you can't teach it that way because it comes out that way. So the, the technology um, from when I played till now um, is so much different. Um, but I think a lot of times the, the technology can sometimes um, really mess up a, a, a guy's approach and a guy's thinking because they're thinking so much, you know, with the new technology and the videos and all this stuff that – they're really not just making it basic, going out, seeing the ball, and being the kid that, that got them there. A lot of times they, they overanalyze things. Well, that's interesting because obviously this is the big story of the year, this technology and people aiming to hit the ball in the air more and countering all these pitchers throwing at the bottom of the zone. And Josh Donaldson was sort of a guy who uh, changed his swing that way. Is basically the idea that not all guys can do that? Um, I think the biggest thing – it's so funny because Josh Donaldson, we, we talked to him, and we literally showed him his swing from Oakland, from whenever it was. I saw him in Arizona Fall League in 2008. Josh Donaldson in 2008, before all he says all this stuff that happened, could hit a ball from here to Niagara Falls. I mean, it was loud, and it was hard. I saw him when he was bouncing. Actually, he was catching. When I saw him, that's how far back I saw him. Uh, and so we, we, me and Bert Jacoby showed him video. And what he says that he does, he doesn't do. He does the exact same thing that everybody. We used to tell, we used to joke with him and tell him, hey, go tell Mookie Betts what you do so maybe we can mess him up. Because really, a lot of good hitters, Ken Griffey Jr., never knew what pitch that he hit. A lot of good hitters just see the ball, hit the ball. Josh is more of a rhythm guy. And he, he thinks that he's doing it. But if you watch it, if you break, if you break his swing down with most major league swings, it's the same exact swing. He loads. He, he, take, he talks about his elbow getting in there tight. But he generates so much power. The best thing that I can say that I've ever seen about Josh Johnson, even better than Mike Trout or anybody, is his balance. I've never seen a guy with a leg that can slam his leg down Pressure two strikes and, and hit a baseball. I mean, he's that good hand-eye coordination. 
to be able to do it. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's not really, it's not really a new swing pass. I don't think it was with him. I think it was the near approach where he, because when I saw him, he really didn't have a, he didn't have a, a leg kick that got up in the air. So he rocks back. Now I think he started to understand his body more than he understand changes. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, obviously, especially because someone who had the talent to go in the first round, just sort of understanding what he's doing is now making him have the success, the success people thought he'd have originally. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was he, him on, and Tulo tried it last spring training in the beginning year, but he couldn't be, he wasn't able to, to maintain it. Uh, Ryan Goins tried it. Wasn't able to maintain it. Went to the same guy that Donaldson praised up and down that did this stuff. And all these guys have failed. What, what, what they're teaching and, and what they're doing is is not uh, is not what it, what it what it comes out at. You, it, it's a funny line because you, what you teach and, and what you're preaching better show up in a game because it's a little bit different. Um, um, which, how do you how do you teach it opposed to what you actually see? Because people see videos and stuff like that and goes, oh look. Well, you got to look at the whole video. You got to see <clears throat> was it was the pitch up, was it down, was it in, was it out? Uh, Batista is the best. Now he's the one that steps. He'll step towards the third base coaching box and hit a ball out of the ballpark. McDonaldson uh, is he, he thinks he opens up with his front foot. He never opens up with his front foot. Very rarely. And I show I got uh, snapshots of him this year, but he thinks he does. So there, there's a difference. I mean, some guy. But you know what? Good for him. If that's what he thinks, then and that's what he wants to feel, then great because he's become a great hitter, and and, and that that's that's great because King, like I said, Ken Gifford Jr. <clears throat> he didn't know what pitch it was that he hit out of the ballpark. So each to his own. Tony Gwynn, I played with Tony Gwynn, and he knew every. I mean, he knew how many seams were coming in there. So I mean, everybody is a little bit different. Hmm. Well, well, thanks. Now, just obviously you're not with the team anymore, so why don't you tell me and our listeners what it is you're doing now? Uh, what I've done is um, I married my wife that lives in Brooklyn, and so I've started up, um, started in February, I started up more like a mentorship program where I'm trying to help the kids here in Canada um, have a little bit more advanced coaching. Uh, I, there's some great uh, coaches here that, uh, have have uh, you know that I mean they're, they're volunteers and things like that, which is fine. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is, is just bring a little bit more of the advanced coaching uh, to this area, um, the Whitley Durham area, and try to have them have them understand what it, what it kind of takes. You know, uh, everybody wants to be a big leader. Every every not a lot of people have experienced the big leagues, and so a lot of people. Um, don't understand what it takes. And, you know, I like I said, I came from a, a Division three school, and me and Billy Wagner were roommates in college, and he probably should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm trying to get these kids to understand how much work it takes to make it is something. I know that Canada is a big-time hockey thing, but I've seen so much talent uh, in this area, and I lived in Arizona for 20 years, and – you know, if you look at the first round, it's usually Arizona, California, Texas, Florida. And these kids, and the reason is, a lot of these retired baseball players go there and they start coaching and doing clinics and stuff, and these kids get better and better, and they end up becoming first-rounders and big leaders. So what I'm trying to do here is, um, is trying to spread the word out and, and trying to get kids. I'm running two camps. I ran a camp last week. I'm running one this week, and just to get them better to understand what it is and what it takes. Uh, these, these coaches are absolutely outstanding in this area. And, um, but you know, I mean, they have nine to five jobs too. So they're, they're not, they didn't coach for 11. So what I, what I'm doing is I'm trying to come in this area and trying to get these kids. I go out and watch them play. Um, uh, and I make notes and I want to make sure that they, they have the best opportunity to be to be a whoever they are. Some of them are only going to be really good ball players. Some of them are going to be good college players. But you know, you get two or three kids here that you know can can, can get to at least the Marlies, and then we'll see what happens from there. But I, I've been doing a mentorship program. I'm doing camps. 
I'm trying to do coaches camps um, to coach these coaches um, to help them understand what it takes. Because a lot of them, you know, they coach the way that they they look look at YouTube or they I, they saw this on YouTube, so they're going to try it with their team. <clears throat> a lot of times, it doesn't. That that's not the right way to go. A lot of times, you know, you got to you got to understand what what your team is. I mean, if we're going to do the Blue Jays. It's not really a lot of working on stealing bases because nobody's going to steal a base. I mean, we need to work on being able to understand how to how to run station to station and 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 take the take the extra base when we can. So that's what I've been doing uh, in this area um, uh, with the mentorship program of having kids come up and and what they do is they they just they they're committed to baseball. They're committed to being able to get better. They're committed to be able to be better in the community. Um, I, I want them to to be examples. Uh, I think a lot of kids uh, early on, they you know, it's a good way to act because I, I watched it on TV. Because you never see a bad play on ESPN unless you're watching the bloopers. I think, well, I should say SNN here. I know I'm an American. SNN in, in Canada because, um, <laughs> you know, you, you see all the highlights and home runs. You don't ever see Josh Dawson going 0 for 4 for punch outs unless you watch a game. So that's what I'm trying to get them to do is understand what it takes. And are they committed to making that commitment to, to baseball? All right, well, that sounds great. And that's uh, they can find that at ericowensbaseball.com. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, I, yes. You can email me at, yes, ericowensbaseball.com. Uh, yes, they can, at And if anybody wants to email me about it, it's uh, ericowens at gmail.com. And also what I'm going to do um, in, in the area um, is also I'm going to do um, a little mini camp with eight players for two days, uh, probably late uh, uh, to be TBA with the uh, dates. Of, for the kids who are trying to make rep teams, the kids who are trying to go from uh, AA to AAA with, uh, with these leagues, um, and I'm going to try to hold a, a two-day uh, clinic hour and a half each and, and try to get these kids better. It's all hitting. I mean, so hopefully, and that's what all the coaches are looking for is this, can this kid hit? So yes. And anyone that has any questions, they can definitely email me and I'd be more than happy to answer. All right. Well, that sounds great. And thank you so much for coming on the show and discussing your time in the pros and what you're doing now. And it sounds like things are going very well for you. Thank you. I appreciate you calling on All right. Well, have a good night. You too. Thank you so much. And there you have it, Eric Owens, who, uh, well, I guess he, he doesn't think Josh Donaldson is doing what Josh Donaldson thinks he's doing. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. I, I, not at all what I expected to hear because Josh Donaldson's like the it's like so, so knowledgeable about hitting and then he's like no he's not actually doing what he says <laughs> and it, you know it's kind of funny it's like he i worked with kevin pilar and ryan goins and he now he did say like he worked with them when they were getting good like the, you know when they turned decent but they suck again <laughs> <laughs> maybe they need to pick up the phone you know you never you can yeah, never they should have kept eric owens <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness uh it is time for your questions Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Then how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Could you repeat the question, please? And we have a whole bunch of them. So, off the top. Um, who do you like first? Like Colleen? Yeah. Sure. Uh, Colleen Evans? At Colleen Evans 6 asks, your favorite baseball promo item, and have you ever seen in- <coughs> seen a team include a different team's jersey? And this is, she attaches a, a White Sox promo where they have a Tim Raines bobblehead with Tim Raines in both White Sox and Expos jerseys, which is kind of neat and weird. Um, for me, it's the Gustavo Justine Cologne, and it's not close. <laughs> uh, that was a bit of marketing genius, I would have to say. <laughs> And he came out of nothing. Just some radio guys saying his name sounds like Cologne. Chassine. <laughs> uh, and the videos on that are still on YouTube if you want to see the Chassine Cologne promos, if you're into that. Um, I've never been a big ballpark promotion guy, to be honest. I, I don't line up for them, so I tend not to think about them too much. 
I, I'll tell you this. I got the 1991 All-Star Game promo towel that I very carefully kept for several years in a closet, and then my mother one day washed them both. I was like, well, thanks, Mom. <laughs> Those are no longer mint. I uh, did once upon a time have a little, the little vial of Gustavo Chassin cologne that they gave out, but I have no idea what happened to it. You pr- probably, you're, you, go, you have a brother? No. No? I was going to say, your brother definitely would have taken that. Um, <laughs> the thing brothers do, isn't it? Oh, Gideon. Gideon would like to know which player plays another game in the majors first, Dalton Pompey or Devin Travis. Yeah, Gideon's brand has become negative, bad, bad news, unhappy guy. <laughs> and this is the bad news, unhappy guy question. Um, it's Devin Travis, because I don't, I can't, can you even predict Dalton Pompey ever playing another game in the bigs? I mean, he should, but really? Yeah, I agree. Devin Travis is the answer to that one. Number three. Uh, what is your favorite ratio of bacon, lettuce, and tomato on a BLT? So this question came because they posted the the lineup card and you couldn't see Osuda's name in the bullpen. And then minor leaguers saw it and he posted, hmm, four B's, two L's, and a T, just the way I like my bacon, lettuce, and tomato. <laughs> the ratio I like. So I'm going to go with it. I'm with you there, minor leaguer. Um, what am I? I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm two B's, uh, an L and a T. I think that's pretty good for me. I'm, I'm not that heavy. Um, Jesse Goldstrass, uh, Goldberg Strassler, sorry, uh, Jay Goldstrass would also like to know what is your least favorite ratio? Zero B's <laughs> and lots of L's and T's. Uh, I, I think probably f- four T's, one B. And three L's would be horrible. I think that would be just... This is, a, this is such a silly question, too. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, we got a better... You mean the following question? <laughs> Luke gets split letters as discounting a hot dog. Uh, what is the best food for a ball game? I mean, it's hard to discount a hot dog because that is the best food for a ball game, but... A burger or pizza? I, just something like that. It's some kind of junk food. Um, there's something to be said for cotton candy or popcorn. Just like not, not even, yeah, not I, even I, food I foods. Like meal food, yeah. Uh, yeah. Chicken wings are too messy. Probably french fries. I'd go with french fries if I'm not having hot dogs. Maybe a little uh, something on top of the fries. Again, poutine too messy. <clears throat> Should we go for a real baseball question now? This is a baseball thing? Oh, right. Okay, sure. You shoot. This is from, from at Lou Brown 34 who is now Pod the Bod Payne. This is a Game of Thrones reference. With the press release on the Jays' intention being to compete in 2018, what are the main things they need to do after this year to do that? Okay, let me start here. Uh, get a left fielder and a right fielder. And a couple starting pitchers. <laughs> yep. So basically, the answer is they have to see what happens with these older players for the rest of the season. If Donaldson picks it up as we think he will, then okay, then they don't have to have as much of an issue with the offense. And Tulo's starting to hit a bit better. And Martin, if he just keeps this up, it's like you can okay, we can be satisfied with those guys. They need the things you said, and they need a backup infielder who can actually hit. Mm-hmm. On the bright side, you don't have to worry about the backup catcher situation. Is Montero still under control next year? No. No. But maybe you can keep him around. Yeah, maybe. Uh, also, by the way, to all of you slagging on Montero because he can't throw, please look at the man's slash line one more time and realize he is, other than maybe Russell Martin, and it's debatable, the best hitting catcher to ever play for the Blue Jays. Yeah. So, what should we read that question? <laughs> from Quinn Sweetser. If you can name a full-time catcher with a worse arm than Miguel Montero, I'll recommend the podcast to every Jays fan I meet. As if he doesn't already. Aww. Um, <laughs> you can't anymore, unfortunately, because Hank Conger and De- Derek Norris are out of the league because unlike Montero, they couldn't hit either. Yep. Uh, remember, he, the guy stealing second hasn't scored yet. The you know, home run you hit or the double that you hit is is far more frequent 
than the guy who steals a base off you. Unless unless you're against a really fast team that's running like crazy. But um, I'm more worried that he doesn't frame pitches particularly well and he calls a confusing game. And of course, because he's a JZAP backup catcher, he doesn't have a hit yet. <laughs> it's like the curse. Oh my goodness. But he is a good hitter. Yeah. OBP of 366 before he came over as yeah. a backup with the Cubs. Think about that. Uh, Connor Moore uh, at the Seahound asks, would it be crazy to play Russell Martin in left field? Josh, yes. I, yeah, thank you. One word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would be crazy. Um, would you like to read our, our question with no context? Sure. Uh, it's, <laughs> no again, one from Quinn. Yeah, go ahead. I have no idea where this comes from. Why don't people understand that three runs against Randy Johnson is actually good? I don't know. I'd like to score three runs against Randy Johnson. I, I'm I'm guessing, without knowing, because I didn't watch this game. I was just sort of following along that the Rays or Red Sox pitcher Brian Johnson was accidentally called Randy Johnson at one point. Brian Johnson is the lead singer for ACDC, and the only reason I remember ever that he's even on the Red Sox is because I think of that as the the joke is the Jays can't hit get a hit off the lead singer for ACDC who's in his 60s. <laughs> okay. But otherwise, I have no idea where that question came from. First game I ever attended live, Randy Johnson pitched through a complete game and lost in the bottom of the ninth on a ground ball to him. Yeah, gotta gotta help himself out. Bad pitcher. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. But to, so our last question. This was an email question from Colleen, and, and so thanks again for the couple questions, and again for being a strong patron of the podcast. But the general question was about the way scores are written, and whether there's a protocol, whether you report the lose the winning score first, or if you're talking about the home team, you put theirs first. So basically, if the Jays lost five to four, would you call it four to five? The answer is always you put the winning score first. Yep. Because the most of, I presume the, 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 the habit comes from the fact that most of the time, um, all you care about is who won, not whether they were home or not. So, and you want to and know there are some, how much they scored sorry. and how much they won by. Yeah. And there are some people who do this backwards so I can see why it'd be confusing, but they're doing it wrong. My wife would be one of those people, but you don't know my wife, so. <laughs> oh, I get some weird scores from my wife. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, she, I get some weird descriptions of plays that should be pretty straightforward, too. So uh, that's why I'm on the podcast about baseball, and she's not so much. Although she does love her Blue Jays. I'll give her that. Ah, we uh, mentioned that Colleen is a patron, and we do have a Patreon, which is uh, www.patreon.com slash turfpod, which uh, we promise we're going to get to that that commentating and inning for you folks very yeah, soon. Yeah, we didn't get much engagement on that tweet about what we should call, and yes, it's got, got, people got to weigh in. We're not good decision makers. We, we might have to no, come that's... up with an actual survey. Maybe the survey will help everybody, because it's one click instead of many clicks. Um. If you go to the Patreon and uh, you decide that you like what we do and it, it's worth, you know, it, it has some value to you, we would appreciate your support and you can help make the podcast better and get yourself some rewards if you're being really generous. And you can check all that out again, www.patreon.com slash turfpod. Also, uh, we this week have music once again from the Elements Festival. Our good friend Ewan is putting that on with some friends out in British Columbia. Um, if you're looking for details on the Elements Festival or, or you like that music or the uh, festival scene, it's coming up in a couple weeks. You can find that at elementsfestival.info. Um, and if you use our discount code, what is our discount code again, Josh? TurfPod. And it's Element Festival. There's no S. So just make sure people go to the right site there. But yes, right if you use TurfPod, you get a free t-shirt. And, and what harm could possibly come from a free t-shirt, right? Now that we've gotten all the business of the business out of the way, I would encourage you to give me, sir, a final thought. And I have a feeling it's going to be on trades. Oh, I wonder why you know that. Um... <laughs> Written right here. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining the magic. Uh, <laughs> the magic basically, is... So there's been a couple big trades in, the, in baseball today as we record this. The first one 
that we're going to talk about, that I'm going to talk about, is the one where the Yankees get, they got uh, Todd Fraser, David Robertson, and Tommy Conley. Basically, this is what you talked about. It might have been on the last podcast, this idea that these teams that you play down the stretch, a lot of them are going to be better than the ones that you were playing before, which makes it even harder to catch up. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees shored up all their non-starting pitching weaknesses there. They have a ridiculous bullpen, and they got a player to play first base or third base in Frazier. Sweet for the Yankees. Sour for the Blue Jays. And on that note, (laughs) the other one that probably more directly impacts the Blue Jays because they're probably not competitive this year anyway is the J.D. Martinez trade to Arizona where they didn't get a lot for him. And J.D. Martinez is a very, very good hitter who isn't much of an outfielder. And if that sounds like what we hoped a certain Jays right fielder would be, it makes it seem like there's almost nothing their Jays are going to get if they try to trade them. They might get a bag of magic beans, Josh. Mm, I'm not a fan of the no. bag of magic beans anymore. They might, they might get regular beans. <laughs> it's just, this is a bag of beans. Um, um, <laughs> which we have taken a, a Sharpie and written magic above the beans label. <laughs> Um, in the hopes that you'll be fooled into thinking that they are something more. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, it's one of the national writers pointed out there aren't actually a lot of teams with a lineup weakness. So the market is soft to begin with. And, and as we could see, um, that's reflected in, in what you get back. The, what their best, the best guy they got was like the number four prospect from uh, Arizona. And that number, the Arizona system is bad. That number four prospect, Dow Lugo, is the guy the Jays traded for Cliff Pennington. Straight up. So they got Cliff Pennington. Wait a minute. That doesn't make it. <laughs> yeah. No, he, no, in fairness, he's been much better since then, but he's still not like a guy. He's just, eh, he's a, maybe a guy. I love the way scouts talk. All right. On that note, uh, we're going to call this a podcast. So that is to say that uh, you have been Josh Hassam at Joshua Hassam. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And our guest was Eric Owens, who we thank for joining us, former hitting coach with the Toronto Blue Jays. This has been Artificial Turf Wars number 66, and we'll talk to you next week.